There's a lot at stake in this message, I think. Um, I really love that, Mike. Well, Barbara, I guess. Credit is due it. Barbara. It's, this passage contains a blueprint of what the church should look like. And there's a lot at stake because if we don't get this right, I think that we can live very mediocre Christian lives. There's a there's a, a kind of a strange passage, and David has talked about it maybe a couple of years ago. We preached on that there are some who escape the wrath of God, but just barely, and they they receive a reward, but it's not nearly the reward of those who pursue hard after Jesus and pour their lives out in service of Him and to building His kingdom. And I think what's at stake today is the notion that. We might live mediocre Christians if we don't understand our calling to live out the gospel, namely in the context of community. And to do it in a way that is both crucially important to our own development and walking closely with Christ and understanding Him and communing with Him. Doing so also creates a lovely community where we are encouraging each other, we equip each other. It also, as we'll see this morning, sets the ground for us to preach the gospel in, I would say, perhaps the most beautiful and vivid way that the world can hear the gospel message. Namely, when Christians love each other the way Christ has loved us. So that's where we're going this morning. And I I have seven, eight pages of notes. How exactly we'll get there depends on how Focused I am and how the Lord leads this morning. In a desire for you not to hear from Joshua, but to hear from the Lord, and in a desire that I might have a heart that's still still enough to hear from Him, let me ask the Lord to bless this time. Father God, you know how half-hearted I am, how weak and fumbling I am. You know how inconsistent I am. And I testify before everyone who can hear my voice that your love endures forever. You are long-suffering with me, Lord. Glory be your name. And you have called me out of the darkness and you've granted me a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. And my heart is stirred by the notion that the women approached that grave site and they saw a stone that had rolled away and they dared to hope. Could it be that he has risen? In light of that reality, Lord, I I desire to proclaim the goodness of You. And I know that no matter how well I do at that, I will fail miserably because Your glory is so great. But I ask, Lord, I beg that You would not hold my weakness and my sins against this people, but instead, Lord, that You would still endeavor to be present with us this morning and speak to Your people and use a flawed vessel like me. Give us ears to hear. I pray, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would be present in this place to illuminate the goodness of Jesus and stir our hearts to see Him and love Him more. 
And I pray, Lord, that I would be able to communicate in a way that is effective for you to exponentially bless it, to cause our hearts to be so convinced of the glory of Jesus and so convinced of His goodness and worthiness that we might love each other more, better, with endurance, gifting each other with the mutual exhortation to walk in Christ and to cling to Him and flee to Him, enabling one another to live out our gospel calling that the world might see a people that don't make any sense, but who are lovely and precious because they are reflecting Your glory. Please do that this morning, Lord, in spite of me. Amen. This sermon series is called, As I Have Loved You. And David wrote this sentence when he, when he sent out this, the preaching guide for this series. This is what he says, Our first series of the year was called, Show Me Your Glory. And that was intended to help us learn more of the character of God that we might grow in our love for Him. Scripture teaches us that if we do love God, we will love our fellow Christians, following Jesus' model. In this series, we will explore New Testament teaching on how the Christian community should be formed and lived out, with a tie-in to how that teaching points us to the selfless, sacrificial love of Jesus. And so if you've been present over the past few months, you've seen... David talked about koinonia, like genuine Christian fellowship. We've talked about union with Christ and abiding in Him. We've talked about the church is one body, though it has many members. We've talked about mutual exhortation. We've talked about being committed to meeting together and gathering and being around one another. We've talked about building one another up in truth. We've talked about supporting each other and sharing God's calling. We've talked about partnership in life. Sharing our possessions. We spent the past couple of weeks talking about spiritual gifts. As I listen to today's passage over and over again, I realize that we're going to talk about all of those things again this morning. We're going to touch on them. Also, there was an encouragement, and David sent out that guide and back in April, that as we went through this series, we're going to do it using something called expositional preaching, where we go into a passage of Scripture and verse by verse we kind of pull out the truths from that passage so that we understand what that passage is about. If we do that well, we actually are training ourselves to read the Bible better, to study the Bible better. And so I've told you where we're going this morning, but we're going to do it through the passage in Romans we're going to start with verse 3. I'm just going to kind of just walk us through a verse or two or three at a time, and I'm going to make comments on each one as we go. So, John, if you could pull that up on the overhead, and if you don't have a bulletin, um, you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, or you can just look at your bulletin. But follow along with me, and I'm just going to kind of just highlight some things as we go. Verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This passage this morning starts with a baseline of humility, of understanding who you are, your position, what you bring to the table. I'm going to expound on that in a little bit, but the, the passage begins with a baseline, an equalizer of humility. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Verse 4 and 5, For as one body we have men, many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Whether you like it or not, in Christ we are united. Every person who trusts in Jesus, as stated in the Apostles' Creed, is part of the universal church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. It is not something that we can do and be and endeavor to live our lives solely as individuals. We are connected with one another, united by Christ. First part of 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Underline that, because that's the imperative in this passage. It's not an option. We are being commanded in this passage to use the gifts, not that you may or may not have been given, but that you absolutely have been given if you are trusting in Christ. Then let's look at the next few verses. So if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All of those things are things that cannot be done in solitude. Those expressions of the gift that God has given to you can only be done in the context of more than one person. They're all outward gifts. And it's not for the purpose of you being made great or you being built up, but for the purpose of blessing others. And if you find yourself in community and you're doing that, you will also find, if it's a Christian community, that those they others will be doing it to you. You will be receiving blessings from others. Here's the next thing I want you to unline is the first half of verse 9. Let love be genuine. This is the heart of the passage. This is when David asked me, "What's this? What's the title of your sermon?" I was like, uh, "I mean, I don't, I can't imagine it be anything other than just genuine love. Genuine love. This is the heart this morning. The exhortation is, let us use them. The heart is, let love be genuine. Second half of verse nine: Abhor what is evil. Hold fast." To what is good. To live out our Christian lives, we must have a level of discernment. And God doesn't call us to just exercise discernment in the dark. We know what is good. We know what is right. And we know what is evil as it's revealed in His Word. And so be wary, brothers and sisters, of anybody who would start with the original question that led to the fall of man. Did God really say? You can know you're going down 
a path that does not lead to life when somebody tells you, well, that's not really what God said. That's not what He meant. So cling to what is good, but you're not going to know that as you ought to unless you understand His revealed Word, His truth. Verse 10, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Yesterday I was listening to this passage and Judah, who's visiting with us, he's my um, my cousin's oldest son. He was like, "Man, that's a crazy uh, that's a crazy phrase. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's almost like it's almost like a competition. Like think about that notion that like, wow, that was really nice what they did for me. Now I'm going to do something even nicer for them. Like maybe they're we, we kind of talked about could that like go." To too much of an extreme? And I was like, well, only if your motive was self-centered. But if your motive actually was for the other person's benefit, maybe that's the kind of competition that we should have, is that we're constantly trying to outdo one another and being kind and showing honor and being gracious. But love one another with brotherly affection and, and outdo one another showing honor, that, that is just what screams out at me in those two encouragements or exhortations is just that's sincere care. That's when it's real. When you love somebody with brotherly affection, like, like, I used to have two business partners, and uh, I used to say, and I'm kind of ashamed that I used to say this, I'm as close to these guys as I am my own brothers. And then one day they decided to, uh, without being willing to negotiate, they decided to get rid of me as a business partner. <laughs> and uh, I suddenly I found myself uh, really hurt and lonely and betrayed, and. Uh, you know who was there for me? My brothers. My brothers were there for me. And my uncles and my aunts and my family were there for me in a way that I had not experienced before in my life until I was betrayed and hurt and lonely and broken. Brotherly affection is that thing that no matter what happens, that person will be there for you, they will care for you. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That is sincere. It's beautiful. And I felt this morning, thinking about preaching, that one of the things the Lord wanted me to do was abase myself and confess my sins. And Jason, I have not lived out today's passage with you and your family. Like, you've been, uh, we sit over here and you sit over there, right? And you, we, you were at Agape when we first showed up and we talked a few times and you come back and we talked a few times. But like, we haven't connected like this passage is calling us to. And I take responsibility for that. I have not, the deans, maybe I'm not going to throw Jennifer under the bus here, but the deans haven't loved the Smiths like this passage has called us to. And that's true of many families in the church, but like, I was thinking about something this morning that I want to say to you because it's a blessing that I should give to you. I don't even remember how long ago it was. It could have been six months. It could have been three years. But I looked over one day and you were holding Emily. During worship, you were just holding her against your chest. And I was like, man, that is like, Jason like, is this big, tough, burly, like kind of intimidating guy. And there's this just beautiful tenderness of him holding her. I was like, man, that's so 
beautiful. If you've watched me, I do it every worship service now. And my son William is like really like withdrawn and um, not an affectionate person. He really likes Legos and building things. He doesn't. He likes things a lot more than he likes people. But the one time every week he comes over to me and wants me to hold him is during worship. And it's because I watched you model that. I was like, wow, that's what fathers should do. They should tenderly hold and like communicate this like love and affection. And so I'm, I, I'm saying that to say that that is good and, and right and true. And how many more things could we have shared with each other over the past two or three years if we had endeavored to live this out better, if, if I had said, you know, Jason and his family are back in church, like, let me connect with them. And, uh, the Smiths aren't the only family that I've failed to love well. Um, I mean, you're a good example, Tamara. We've been going to church for a long time, but only in the past, what, six months has our families really connected with one another. But there are mountains of blessings that we can experience to the degree that we endeavor to be in each other's lives so that we can experience and portray brotherly affection and have the opportunity to outdo one another in love. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. My comment for this is just that, that that is a high calling. It's not a light thing. It's not something we should be doing casually when we have time, when it fits into everything we got going on. Verse 12 is one that's really like right into your feelings. Rejoice and hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You know what came, even though this is not a word, what came to my mind is that is unfakeable. You cannot fake rejoicing and hope. You cannot fake being patient when things are really awful for you. And there is, there is, um, There's somebody in this church who every time I'm around them, I, I, I get a hint of the mystery and the glory of Jesus. And it's because that person spends hours in prayer every week. This person steals away from the world and in quietness goes and just spends time consistently in prayer, hearing from the Lord, pouring themselves out. And the result is that every time I'm around them, I get a little hint of that glory of Jesus. That is not something that can be faked. That is something that is genuine and real and precious and something that we should be all striving for. But these things that he's calling us to in, in verse 12, rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer, are not things that are faked. This is, this is where it's like, wow, that person really is walking with the Lord, walking in Christian community. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There is a requirement in this verse to help. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's not like, hey, if you have time or if you have a lot, then maybe give some of it. It doesn't matter where you are. 
you are called to meet the needs of the body. Then there's this other thing, seek to show hospitality. That's not, it is a requirement for elders. And we're called to all seek opportunities to do it. Jennifer and I really enjoy having people to our home. In full transparency, sometimes it's because we'd rather have you come to our house than pack up our boys and drive across town and go to yours. It's a lot easier if you just, ah, why don't you just come to our house? I mean, I don't mind spending a few more bucks at the grocery store. It's a lot easier than driving half an hour to wherever the heck you live. So thank you for all you guys who ministered to us by coming to our house. <laughs> but that's something we should seek to do, show hospitality. What's not something that's negotiable is whether or not you contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Those are practical helps that make a huge difference in the lives of the people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This was Jesus' teaching. And it was how he lived his life. Like a lamb to the slaughter, Jesus was led to be crucified. We're going to talk more about that notion later. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And this, I'm going to interject right here. 1 Corinthians 12.26 If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That verse in 1 Corinthians and this exhortation in verse 15, it's, I'm gonna, it's, it's similar. to It's, it's unfakeable. But really, I want, I want, the picture I want you to have for this verse 15 is hearts that are knitted together. There's a connectedness. There's a real, genuine link We have not endeavored to build that yet, Jason. And like, part of why I'm doing this publicly is now I have the accountability <laughs> to connect with you like I ought to. But that's hearts knitted together. That's communal in Christ. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. My, my comment here for is just stay grounded. Just stay grounded. No matter how much success you have in life, no matter how things, how awesome things are for you, don't think for a second that's because of how awesome you are. Understand that it's because God has blessed you and gifted you, and if you withdrew your grace, you'd be in a gutter drunk tomorrow morning. And I mean that. Like, I genuinely mean that. If you think if you if if you pull out of the parking lot this morning on your way home and you literally see a drunk person in the gutter and you think to yourself something along the lines of man like what awful things what awful choices that person must have made to lead them to that place. 
I would never. You think far too highly of your own goodness and far too little of the grace of God who has kept you from that. And you must also understand that that, we'll get to that, but that person who's laying in the gutter is there for you to go and minister to them and and be the hands and feet of Christ because literally, if he withdrew his grace from you, that would be you tomorrow morning. Stay grounded. Verse 17 and 18, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There is something precious in God's sight and beautiful and will be put on display, I believe, and rewarded greatly in the next life in for meek and godly living. Quiet, unrecognized, humble service is precious to our Heavenly Father. So endeavor to do that. Endeavor to be on good terms with everybody you possibly can be on good terms with. There are some things that are completely out of your control. Some people will hate you no matter what. You could give them a kidney and they'll still curse you out the next day. That's not on you. But your willingness to care for them and love them and to forgive and to give it to God is on you. Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. I just want to make an interjection here about this is extreme trust in the Lord on display. You don't... Choose not to pursue revenge or feed your hungry enemy unless you believe the promises of God and are willing to act on them. This is extreme trust in the Lord on display. And here's the summary verse of this whole passage. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. All right, so if you have a handout and you want to earn some man points, boys, your life truth, I have three of them this morning. Here's the first one. How we live outwardly towards others profoundly affects our inward experience of God and His blessings. How we live outwardly towards other people, both in the church and out, profoundly affects our inward experience of God and His blessings for our life. I want to say right now, like one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, the thing that I think about constantly throughout the week as things pop up is Ecclesiastes 7, verse 16 through 18. This is I like the NASB, NASB's um, translation much better than ESB's. Here's what it says in NASB. Do not be excessively righteous... And do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked and do not be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good, listen to me and watch me, 
It is good for you to grasp one thing while not letting go of the other. For the one who fears God comes out with both of them. Both what we're about to talk about, but then also so many things in life I see controversies. And I think about this passage. Like, so let's just take one in the church. Like, uh, do we do we do we do we focus on the truth of God's word and preaching and teaching, or do we focus on the spiritual gifts and how God is mysterious and does wild things that are inexplicable? Like, no, like it's not a dichotomy where you have to choose one or the other. You you grab hold of one without letting go of the other. You come out holding both. God both has revealed truth. There's systematic theology, which is good for understanding who God is. I like catechisms. Me and the boys are working through the catechism so they can understand truth. It's systematic. It builds one truth upon the other so we understand. God has given us minds that think logically, and that's good. It shows order. But then there was that time in the New Testament where he got carried away by a whirlwind and was put somewhere else. Like That doesn't make any sense. That, doesn't, that makes no sense whatsoever. There's no command in Scripture that says, hey, when you have a crazy dream, and God says, don't go back to Herod, make sure you follow that dream. But that's what happened to the wise men. The reason they didn't go back to Herod was because they'd been warned in a dream not to do so. That's never talked about in the Old Testament. There's no Old Testament law that, hey, when you have this dream, go through this protocol for understanding that dream and then take these steps to enact it. Like, no. God's truth is good and, and logical, and, and but also there's mystery and wonder and things that don't make any sense. There's paradoxes. Grasp hold of one without letting go of the other. So here, the way we're gonna, the reason I bring this up is because we have these two realities: individualism, our individual personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but then the collective, the church. You might think that you are put on this earth. One extreme, one one thing you grab hold of and let go of the other would be. To say, I exist to live with the church and to help other people. But never pursue your personal walk with the Lord. Not spend very much time in prayer. Not spend very much time reading the Word. Not spend very much time in personal disciplines. Grasp hold of one without letting go of the other. So there's the individualism and there's collective. We're provided in the first three verses of today's passage a baseline from which to build. Remember I talked about humility? The baseline of humility? Our baseline is the great equalizer of original sin. Our baseline is that all of us are depraved and we have a propensity towards selfishness and we all seek our own pleasure and our own comfort first. First and foremost, that's your baseline default. That's why you shouldn't think of yourself more highly than you ought because your default is to care only about yourself. But we're given in God's revelation of truth something that brings us out of our wretchedness and gives us something with which to build upon that baseline of depravity, which is our calling. So the structure that we build upon is that we might live within a context of a body made up of many members. So yes, we are individuals who have an individual experience with Jesus, but we build upon that by expressing it, our faith through community. So first, we must remember that sin came into this world and man and woman were created in God's image. And God declared His creation good. Every man and woman since the first man and woman 
has been created with the capacity for excellence and wonder and beauty. Each one of us, or let me say it differently, you, 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 are distinctly precious and capable of bringing intense delight to God the Father. Kim, you are capable of bringing intense delight to God the Father. You are precious. It's important that you know that. Isaac, you are precious in God's sight. Like we spend so much time talking about the depravity of man, our weakness, and our, our hearts are deceitful above all things, and we spend a lot, a very little time talking about the fact that God delights in His children. We've got to grab hold of one without letting go of the other. Both are true. You are a precious child of the, of the King, right? Like that, was, that, was your, that was how He made mankind. Sin entered the world and screwed it all up. Yes, that's true. But I think it's important that we remember that we are God's children and He delights in His children. Second, in Christ, our old self has been crucified with Christ. This is an important thing to remember. So I want you to remember first that you are created in God's image and you have the capacity for God to delight in you. Second, I want you to remember that your record of sin has been destroyed. So like there was this mountain of evidence of all the sins that you have committed and will commit. And, and Satan like has these, like, these um, filing cabinets full of documents showing how awful you are. Well, all that gets, got destroyed in a fire, so to speak. There's no more record of anything you've done wrong. There's no, they can't bring a case against you. It's all been done away with. The penalty has been paid. If you believe in Jesus and trust in this gospel, you are washed completely clean for all time. Every believer in Jesus is justified as a gift through faith. You are made perfectly clean and without blemish, presented to God as though you had lived Jesus' perfect life. Third, because of the Father's great love for the Son, we are sanctified and made clean. And that's so that we can be presented to the Son as His bride. The church, the church that this passage is clearly saying you are a part of, is the bride of Christ. It is a profound mystery, but it's one that is true and good and worthy of our consideration this morning. So how we live outwardly towards others profoundly expects our inward experience of God and His blessings. You must understand those three truths that I just said about you. If you are in Christ, understand that you were, as a baseline default, yes, we understand that we're sinful, we need Jesus. But He created you with the capacity for excellence, and He takes great pleasure in His children. Second, your old self has been done away with. God has Absorbed, Jesus has absorbed all the penalty for sin, and you are perfectly clean and presented to Jesus, presented to God, perfectly clean in Jesus. And third, you're put in the context of the church, and the church is being made perfect and made presentable for Jesus to receive after the judgment. It's important for us to understand those things. Second life truth. Genuine love for others requires faith, connection, 
and constant selflessness. The Christian life is distinctly communal. We see that in verses 6 through 16. As I mentioned, verse 6 through 8, all of those gifts are outward expressions. If you understand what I've just said to you about your identity in Christ, I think it should do a few things in your life. First, I think we should be stirred in our affection for who Jesus is. He has accomplished these potent realities for you. He's made sure that they're secure and guaranteed for you. And if you believe that, it should stir in you a love for God. Which, by the way, is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So if you understand what I've said, that should stir in you a love for God. And we should see that our calling to love one another is the highest calling of man. It is the fulfillment of the second greatest command, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Thirdly, we should understand the truth of who the church is. It is the bride of Christ. And we should remember the new commitment that Jesus gave at the last, after the Last Supper, that we love one another as He has loved us. That's um, John 13, 34. It's said differently in 1 John, this commandment we have from Him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So I say the third life truth, Christian community is the brightest expression of the gospel in a sin-darkened world. Christian community is the brightest expression of the gospel in a sin-darkened world. Let me read to you Mark 12, 28-34. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all your mind, and all, sorry, with all your heart, and with all your understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbors as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you. This is Jesus after the supper. They went out. And Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Consider Romans 13, 8-10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law.
All right, so what? Like, what do we do with that, Josh? Like, you've told us that we're sinful, sin has entered the world, we're corrupt, we, we, we're all sinful, but God created us so that we might, so that He might take delight in us and we might um, pursue and, and realize excellence. So what? So what if He's placed us in the context of a church and a community? And so what if that community is supposed to share the Gospel with the world? How do I, how do I apply that to my life? What difference is that going to make for me tomorrow? This is my encouragement to you. These are my applications. I'm stealing one directly from David's a few weeks ago. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. See His love for you. And love Him in return. If your faith is weak, then ask Him to enable you to fulfill the greatest commandment, to love Him. Say to Him, Lord, like I just don't have much affection. Ask Him. And I'm telling you, if you ask Him and you plead with Him, cause me to love you, He will answer that. Like and so if this morning, if like you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if what I'm saying, your heart isn't stirred, my exhortation to you is understand that you are in peril. And let me say this, like, because this is just a reality. There are people in this room who do not know and do not love Jesus. I don't know who you are, but there are people in this room who do do not love Jesus, who have no love for God or the things of God. What I'm telling you is these things this morning don't apply to you because you are outside of Christ. The peril you are in, if that is your state, if you don't look to the Word and find precious, if you don't look to the notion of there being an empty tomb, and have, if, you, if you have no reaction to that whatsoever, if you have no real consideration for the thought that one day the sky might roll back and Jesus will descend like He ascended, and judge the world if you're like, nah, I don't, I don't buy that. You need to understand that that is true and that if you have no affection for Him, if that's a fearful thing, then all that awaits you is a fearful expectation of judgment. It means that you will stand before Him and the enemy, the devil, will have a record of all the wicked things that you've done. And God will look at you and say, what do you have to say for yourself? And you're like, well, I tried to do this. I mean, I was pretty good. I didn't, I didn't murder anybody. And I, I mean, I, I tried pretty hard. And um, I mean, these bad things happened to me. So that kind of should, I should get some credit for. And he's just going to say, like, the evidence is too high. And I sent you my son and you rejected him. And he will cast you out into the outer darkness. And there's weeping and gnashing of teeth there. And there is no return from that place. There's no second chance from there. So my encouragement to you is this very thing that I said, look to Jesus. Because let me say to you, because if you are here and you have no affection for Him, and, you, and your, your thought in your heart right now is, that sounds awful, look to Jesus. Because what He offers any who would come to Him, any who would believe in Him, is complete renewal.
He will take that mountain of evidence, He will destroy it, and then He'll say, look, I dealt with all of it on the, on the cross. And God is a just God, which means He doesn't punish for the same crime twice. So if Jesus died for your sins, there's no penalty left for you. But you have to look to Him. You have to cry out to Him. You have to believe in Him. What does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Him? It has, it's to look to Him and say, what does this mean? Can you, with all that I've done wrong, with my hard, cold, hard, dead heart, could I be one of these people who are fired up and get emotional singing about an empty tomb? Not that emotion is what we're after, but what we're after is love. The answer is yes, He can do that. If you but look to Jesus, my encouragement is today, right now, just stop listening to me and just start praying in your mind, Lord, I don't know what this dude's talking about, but I'm terrified of the notion of being judged by you. Cause me to love you like he's talking about. And if you are genuine in that concern and genuine in that prayer, He will answer it. And my encouragement to you is ask it until He does. It might take 30 minutes. It might take 30 days. But if you cry out to Him, you will suddenly find as you read His Word, as you listen to sermons, you understand what's being talked about. And Jesus, who's this idea this thing that we were raised hearing about makes us feel good. Listen, we hear it in country music songs. Suddenly, like, no, it's a lot more than this, this good feeling. Like, Jesus is everything. He, like, he's, he's everything. He really does love me. He really did take away my sin. He really does understand me. He really does equip me to forgive and love and have a newness of life walking in the spirit. Not this old thing like it's a checklist where we do these things, but it's this new thing where we love God. We find Him precious. His Word is intriguing. We find ourselves really enjoying being around these weird Christians. We are changed. So cry out to Him. If you don't love Jesus this morning, cry out to Him. Look to Him. Believe on Him. He will renew your heart and you will be made new like, this sounds so dumb and cheesy, but for a period, colors will be brighter, food will taste sweeter. Your soul won't have this emptiness. It'll have this security. As you look at this symbol that people wear around their necks and get tattoos of, suddenly you'll understand it. The cross is where God, who had ascended, lived perfectly, willingly laid down His life as a sacrifice for sin so that He could take away the mountain of evidence against you and the, the guilt you feel in the pit of your soul when nobody's around and things are quiet and you don't like being still. It's because you know something's not right between you, God, you and God. He takes that away. And suddenly He gives you the spirit that dares to hope that maybe one day I can stand before God and He will love me? He will say, well done? That is what we have in Christ. And if what I'm saying is like, yeah, I've experienced that. 
But you know, like things are kind of been a rough season. My encouragement to you is look to Jesus and find Him precious again. Find Him precious anew. Consider all that He has done for you and consider Him as beautiful. And if your faith is weak, ask Him for a greater measure that you might see Him more clearly and love Him more. And then my encouragement to you is like, like I, I told David, maybe that's the way we prepare for worship in the New Covenant. Think about Him more. Create habits in your life that set aside time and intention to consider who He is and how amazing He is. And when you read the Bible, don't read the Bible so you can feel good about yourself and check it off a list. Read the Bible to experience, to see and experience Jesus in His Word. Think about the Word as living and active where it's an opportunity for you to get in there and see who He is. And He might speak to you. Alright, but this is supposed to be about community and church and uh, suffering together and rejoicing together. Well, the second application is my encouragement to you is to expose yourself to the risk of disappointment and hurt and the guarantee of sacrifice and service by connecting in community. Jason, if we start hanging out, I'm telling you, man, I'm going to disappoint you. And I'm a libertarian and you're a Republican and we're going to butt heads about political things the same way Kevin and I do. But hey, man, like I'm warning you ahead of time. <laughs> but that should not be a barrier for us hanging out and talking more. But what we find in community is God takes black and he puts it with white. God takes Republican and he puts them with Democrat. God takes the young and he partners them with the old. God takes the rich and he partners them with the poor. He takes all of the distinctions that we have in the world, the world puts high stress and high value on, and he does away with it. He says, no, the baseline is you guys are all depraved. But because of Christ, you can live out that capacity for excellence, and God can be exceedingly joyful in who you are. He can delight in you. And in the context of community, something mysterious happens. People who shouldn't hang out together not only hang out together, but genuinely love each other. The lowly poor person is able to interpret a dream for the rich person who, who can't sleep because they keep having these dreams that are, that are, that are terrifying or, or plaguing them and, and they, they can't sleep because of it. Or whatever the gifted manifestation of the Spirit is, we, we build each other up. But I'm telling you, to the degree that we all still wrestle with the flesh, and we do, there's a serious risk that you are going to be disappointed and hurt by people. Because none of us are doing this perfectly out the gate. None of us do, do it perfectly ever on this side of glory. That's one of the things we long for is the day we might be able to live in community with Christ without the entanglement of the flesh weighing us down and screwing it up and making it hard. But it's not a reason to not do it. So expose yourself to the risk of disappointment and hurt and understand that there's the guarantee that it's going to require sacrifice and service on your part. But what's at stake is the preaching of the gospel to the world and the ability for you to obey God and live out your calling 
and the ability to equip everybody around you with the gift that you have and the ability to be gifted by them so that you are equipped to endure hard things when they come. If we are doing this, looking to Jesus, walking in faith, risking the the disappointment and hurt, sacrificing and serving one another, being built up and building one another up, then we are equipped to overcome evil by persisting in genuine love. When trials come, and they will, if you are not in the context of a body living like this, you will find yourself devastated. Not lost. Not cast out into nothingness. But you will find yourself devastated Broken, wounded, deeply wounded, extremely lonely. But if you're in the context of a body where you're exercising your gifts and the people around you are exercising theirs, and Christ is made much of, and your conversations around the dinner table are, hey, what is the Lord teaching you? And then you spend two hours talking about Jesus and how good He is. When trials come, and they will, you will say, we talked about this. And I, I don't feel alone in this endeavor. Even though this, this dude is just, every chance he gets, he, he's hurting me and my family, I'm supported by my, by my church, and I'm loving him in return. And then your neighbor says, hey, dude, like, I noticed that, that guy keeps really hating on you and your family, but the way you respond is so beautiful. Can you, why you, how come you don't slash his tires? Well, let me tell you about the hope that I have. It's not about that dude. It's about Jesus who saved me even though I was just as wretched as that dude. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like if you're in the community, when trials come and they will, you'll weather it. Because you'll have a, a group of people who love you, who are pointing you to the one who will enable you to navigate that storm and see who has promised to see you through to the other side. And even if the trial is the valley of the shadow of death, you will one day, this is my prayer for me, be at your deathbed surrounded by people who will be ushering you into the arms of Jesus so that you might be given grace at the time of your death to glorify Him even in that moment where your very life is being taken away. I don't I have no idea where this is what this is how I'm gonna end you guys. This is God's will for us. What I just described is God's will for us. And so I want you to consider something. I believe that God has storehouses like barns that are full of the blessings of what I just described. And I believe that He would open those doors if we would just ask Him to. 
And I, I believe that he would open the doors of his storehouses of blessings of Christian community and godliness lived out in the context of the church as the bride is being made, being made beautiful to be presented to Jesus. And so that if we would ask him to open those doors, he will. He would say, yeah, I've been waiting for you to just ask. Because this is my will for you. Like you keep asking for raises so that you might have a nicer car. That's not my desire for you. Maybe, maybe that's something he will do for you, but that's not his ultimate desire for you. What his ultimate desire for you is that you love Jesus more and live that out in the context of community in such a way that it preaches the gospel to everybody you encounter. So let's ask God to open the storehouses of his will for us and grant that we might live this out here at Agape. God will open the doors to His storehouses of provision for us as we seek to walk this out. This is the perfect place to see God answer prayer, for Him to do the unexpected and the marvelous as we step beyond what we know and outside of our routine. So I wrote this down. Dear God, please cause us to think of Jesus more. Please give us eyes to see and hearts that believe the truths of Your Word especially the truths about who we are because of sin, who we are because of Christ's work on the cross, and who we ought to be because of our preparation to be given to Jesus as His bride. May genuine love enable us to live in a world that is not our home in such a way that the lost are drawn to Jesus the way moths are drawn to a lamp light at night. Do you desire what I've said today? <laughs> if, you, if you don't, I probably haven't done my job this morning. This is the, the, this is the ending passage. I, I, this is the very end of my notes. It says this, Romans 15, 5-7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God.